My name's P.G. Bell, and this week we're going to hear the seventh Doctor, Sylvester McCoy, in his own words. They say you should never meet your heroes. They are wrong. Before we go any further, let me make one thing perfectly clear. Sylvester McCoy is my Doctor. Yes, I saw Colin Baker first, although I remember watching him from my mother's lap while she explained to me why the Doctor looked different all of a sudden, so I must have seen the tail end of Peter Davison's tenure, although I have no memory of it. But McCoy's were the first stories I was really old enough to appreciate. He and Sophie Aldred, as his companion ace, are the ones who made me a fan. And Remembrance of the Daleks is still one of my very favourite Doctor Who stories, so imagine my excitement when I learned that Sylvester and Sophie would be taken to the stage at the SFX Weekender in Pestatin to be interviewed by none other than Ben Aronovich, who wrote the script for Remembrance and, more recently, has been finding success with his range of urban fantasy novels. In the event, a train derailment meant that Sophie had to miss the panel, but it was still a rare privilege to see one of my childhood heroes interviewed by one of my favourite Doctor Who writers. As you'll hear... Not everything went according to plan, but Sylvester is one of nature's showmen, and he turned the event into a sort of one-man show that does, be warned, contain the occasional swear word and a fairly dirty joke. Now, sit back, relax, and enjoy. Hi, hi! I'm impressed that people still remember that. You probably should be embarrassed, but hey, there we go. Okay, it's time for a star guest. Uh... He is the Seventh Doctor. His name is Sylvester McCoy, and here to make it to him, live on stage, we have a man who wrote two Doctor Who stories, including Remembrance of the Daleks in the late 80s, Ben Ravitch! Oh, they were, they were a bit of woo. I'm not sure. 
was great working with the Daleks. I mean, they were special Daleks, because I don't know if you remember. They, uh, they, they gave, you know those uh, balls, those round balls you have in wheelbarrows? They used to be orange, you know, the wheelbarrow. Well, they, what they did was they adapted the Daleks to make them more uh, amenable to going over bumpy ground. So they gave them three red, big orange balls. So that's what I learned about the Daleks. If you look under their skirt, they're three big orange balls. And, and they, but they, they didn't really work very well because when they were going along on the, you know, the, uh, the, uh, the bumpy road, they wobble a bit. They all look as if they'd just come out of the pub. They were a bit drunk. <laughs> I mean, the, uh, we'd just come out of the pub as well, so we were wobbling as well, so that's what made it look all right. Yeah, right. blowing up Hammersmith. I yes. Very well. Ah, they're blowing up. No, it was uh, Hammersmith, but also um, uh, the, the Waterloo Station. That's right, it's Waterloo Station. That was a, quite an extraordinary event because it was the we were filming on Easter Monday, the 60th anniversary of the Easter up arising in in in, uh, in Dublin. So they were expecting some trouble from the IRA, and we were happened by chance filming under Waterloo Station in the uh, uh, under the arches of Waterloo Station, and it was a great battle scene going on between one section of the Daleks and the other. And the pyrotechnic boys at the BBC, they put all their explosives up, you know, under the archway. And then they let it off. And it, it was such an explosion that all the cars nearby rattled and all their alarms went off. And some windows cracked. And then suddenly in the distance, there was smoke over there. Suddenly in the distance, you had... And they said, the, the police came. And the ambulance came. And the fire engine came. And they were coming down the road towards me. I remember this quite distinctly. Coming down the road towards me, and the archway was here, and out of smoke everywhere. And the driver of the ambulance suddenly he stopped, and his jaw dropped to his chest because out of the smoke came three Daleks. Which is amazing. And what had happened was that the, uh, the, the, some police, the BBC, uh, had told the police they got permission out, as far as I know. Uh, but they forgot to tell uh, the, the, the London police. It was on Radio Caroline. The IRA have blown up Waterloo Station. <laughs> and of course, right enough, the Daleks had Irish accents when they came along. I'm here to exterminate all my There were strange, spry little old men, if I remember right. Very spry little old men, yeah. Little old men who'd been doing Daleks since 1963. They had, yes. Some of them, the original Daleks. And some of them, I don't think, had ever come out. There was one little fella, I mean, he used to tell me that he'd forget, he'd say, cut, you know, in the studio, wherever they were, cut, Dalek scene, everywhere would go off, and then suddenly you'd hear a, hi, any packing there? They'd completely forgotten about them. Apparently good for overhearing other people's conversations. Exactly, yes. Well. Did you get any gossip from them? I was no, trying to guess, well, really. I was trying to get from the makeup people, because there was a the best gossip. Yes, I know, but the... Um, but the, the Dalek guys, they had the best, a really good gossip because everyone forgot they were there. I mean, I, I was trying to get a, a lowdown on, uh, you know, kind of pin, on uh, uh, John Pertney and, you know, Katie Manning, what was happening there. <laughs> all those kind of things, but they never told me. Uh, it's a sacred bond. Yes, I mean, what was it like working with Tom and uh, Lala? <laughs> <laughs> what fun that would have been to get Alec. Um, I do remember one of the questions. Uh, one of the questions was, um, what was it like reprising the role later with Paul McGann? Oh yeah, well, that was, I liked that, I enjoyed that, uh, because I had no responsibility. You know, no, I, no really, I mean, because when, when it was all Paul McGann, you know, you, you, you got the job, you can take the responsibility, I'm just going to have fun. And, and of course they treated me like, uh, you know, a Hollywood star. And you know, whereas I've been working for the BBC, we were lucky if you had a changing room that was not a toilet. So, but when I got there, they gave me a Pantechnican. I had I had this vast kind of it was a Pantechnican because they, in Canada where they filmed it, you know, they had to take them up mountains and all over the place. And my Pantechnican had a, a lounge, kitchen, shower rooms, and lighting for every kind of season you'd want. I was just so luxurious. And then what's his name? Who's playing the master? Uh, Rick, what's his name? Uh, yes, I knew it. I was just wondering if you did. Eric Roberts. Anyway, Eric Roberts turns up two weeks in, and I got this amazing caravan. And he comes, he arrives, he looks at the caravan and says, I don't like the carpet, I want it uh, a different colour. And he goes, I don't like the makeup lady, I want my own. And 
And I thought, I didn't know you're supposed to do that. <laughs> I had no idea. And it was too late to go and ask for a new carpet. It was already messed up mine. Anyway, I don't know. So, but it, it was it was fun. It, it was fun. Um, and I, I, I was amazed that I did as much as I did in the film. I think they got it wrong. I shouldn't have been in it. My see, my, I should not have been in that film. They should have just done Paul McGann and then later explained and brought me in. But that, I think it was just too complicated for an American audience to follow. You know. Hey, this is not an African-American do here. Yet. Anyway. Um, <laughs> dry ice. Dry ice. Not a dry ice in the house. Well, I missed Panto. I didn't do one this year. You did not do a Panto this year? Oh, no, I didn't. I was, um, no, I didn't do a Panto, did I? Gosh, did you all come and see it? Was it any good? I must be getting old. I can't remember doing one. You're just so good now. You just very... No, I was, uh, it was because of a, a certain film that I'm not allowed to mention. The Hobbit. See, <laughs> anyway, because of that, I couldn't commit myself to a pantomime. You were in, in you know, a 24 hour flight. So. 30, 36, I think it takes. The time you get there. So. Oh! Okay. I'm running out of questions. Uh, we also had answered the questions that were predicated on the idea that Sophie would be here, who unfortunately is stuck in London due to a derailment. Right. We didn't do it. Well, if you want, I'll go. Does anyone out there want to ask a question? Okay, bye. Come on, speak. Put your hands up. There's a hand person over there. Right. So, this will now come amongst you. Like some big god. Yes. You'll be disappointing. Close up. I look so small. I can come between the audience if you like, Sylvester. No. Oh. Because before that, I was doing 15 episodes. 
and I was going to commit my whole life to doing Doctor Who for a year. And I, put, I got my mind into that, and I was looking forward to it. And then they cancelled it. That boom! They cancelled it. But you're not upset. <laughs> oh, oh. It's <laughs> Any more questions? Have you still got your hat? I've still got my hat. Yes, I have. It's disintegrating, as I am. So, um, I still have my hat. Anyone else? Over there. Right, I'm coming. Oh, I can't. Yes. Sorry. Get out of the way. Move them. <laughs> uh, what can you actually tell us about the Hobbit? Oh, they hop. Oh! <laughs> oh! <laughs> Zilch. <laughs> I'm not allowed to speak about it, which is really frustrating. Because I've had a great time doing it. I really love, love doing it and having done the bits. And I want to tell everybody about it. But I've been sworn to secrecy. I, I, I can tell you, Ian McKellen's in it, but we all know that. <laughs> Ian McKellen's taller than me, but we all know that. Um, I play Radigas the Brown. The reason why I got the job was because I could say Radigas the Brown. So that's why I'm in it. Um, uh, Peter Jackson is really great to work with. He's one of the, you know, uh, New Zealand is a lovely place. It's a, a bit bigger than Britain. Uh, the weather's a bit better than Britain. The mountains are a bit taller than Scotland. Um, and it's, you know, it's lovely to go out there. I've been around the world now last year twice. And on the way, I tried to stop off. The first time I went to Hong Kong. And I, I, I'd always wanted to go to China. I was supposed to be on a tour years ago in the 70s. And we were supposed to go to Hong Kong, but it was cancelled because there was rioting in the Philippines, so we never got to Hong Kong. Always wanted to go there. Went to Hong Kong. And my goodness, it's a marvelous city. It's just like New York, only it's far eastern New York, full of Chinese New Yorkers. You know, you know what I mean? It's like Chinatown, all of it. New York, Chinatown, all of it. But what was amazing was how beautiful the people are. They're really beautiful. They're, and apart from their the kind as well, they, they, look, they, they respect old people. I love it. I'm going to retire there. And it's all like, I love all that stuff. But I kept wondering myself, wow, maybe they import, export all the ugly Chinese to Chinatown. Because when you go down to Chinatown, they're not as beautiful as the ones in Hong Kong. So I love that. And then the last time I went out, I went to Tulsa on the way there to do a convention. Now this was a science fiction. No, no, it was a, uh, it was a horror and science fiction convention. A few months before, I'd been in Atlanta at Dragon Con, and 45,000 people officially turned up. 200,000 unofficially turned out, but health and safety, they said, was only 45,000 people. Packed! Not all to see me, I mean, just to amazing convention. If you ever get a chance to go to it, it's amazing. They take over five hotels in the centre of Atlanta. They, um, they, they have a great parade on the Saturday, uh, with, and everybody's there. Batman, Robin, you name it. Any superhero, X-Men, X-Whites, they're all there. <laughs> it's just brilliant to, to, to watch. Anyway, so I was looking forward to Tulsa for this horror and, you know, uh, science fiction thing. I turn up. 45 people turned up in Tulsa. 45,000 in Atlanta, but only 45 in Tulsa. Because it was, it was a bit chaotically done. Were very sweet guys that did it. But what was really good was the, um, the horror people. They all arrived with their brains hanging out. You know, things like that. You know, it's lovely you see them all dressed. People who look at their eyeball hanging down here. And then they look around the corner to see who's there there before they go around it and all that. So that was fun just to be there and see. That was, uh, so that broke up my journey on the way to uh, New Zealand. Uh, and then I had a nice time in New Zealand. With New Zealanders. Hi. Hello. Um, yeah, you were saying before that you thought you were, um, maybe shouldn't have been in Doctor Who the movie. I actually thought you were the best thing in it. Apart from the Um, 
enjoyed playing the doctor in the film. Um, I don't think it worked for our American audience. That's it was it was too complicated in a way because having the doctor, we all know, we all we all grew up with it. You know, it's like pantomime. We all know what you're supposed to do. We all know that the doctor moves on and another one comes. But for Americans, they've never seen it. So suddenly they're watching this. There's this amazing, handsome man. You know, brilliant actor there, and then suddenly he gets shot. You know, and then some ugly little comes along. <laughs> Well, I mean, you know, what they're going to think is, you know, it's too complicated for them to work that one out. So, that's why I don't think it really worked, and that's why, I mean, you know, I shouldn't have been in it. It just made it too complicated. Did I get the part because of Doctor Who in the... <laughs> bit. Um, might, perhaps, yes, because I also got it because I was playing the, I played the fool in King Lear with Ian McKellen, Mr. Gandalf himself. And, um... We went to New Zealand and we played to Peter Jackson and his family in the theatre that they all came to see us. And then Peter Jackson and his family invited us home, you know, for a little reception and a welcome. When I was there, his children were very, rather excited because they kept saying, oh, I hope Danny comes in your costume. He had my costume. Peter Jackson's got my costume. And so um, I thought, well, he, I'm sure he must, he doesn't dislike me. He must like me a bit if he's got my costume. Mm, I don't like costume. Anyway, um, he, so anyway, he didn't turn up in it, and uh, but that gave me an idea that he knew who I was. Also, having seen King Lear and having seen me work with Ian, I finally thought you know that was a good thing. So I came from Doctor Who and from King Lear, and also because I did years ago audition, did a screen test for Bilbo Baggins. I play, I was up there, and they, you go for screen tests, you do them, they send them off to New Zealand, they look at them, and they choose, 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 and they pick them, and, they, and then they kind of hone them down to the last few. Well, I was honed down all the way to the last two. So there was the last two, and then, um, what's his name? <laughs> hmm? Yes, I knew, but I just wanted to hear Anyway, I'm terrible at names, honestly, I forget them. Anyway, um, Home got the part, as we know. Pity he wasn't working that week, because uh, I nearly got it. So they, they liked me, obviously, up to that point, and they kept me in mind. That again added to the list of things, the ticks, that got me Radagaster Brown. Tell us a good story about working with Sophie Aldrin on Doctor Who. That was a very good story. Anyway, I can tell you that one. <laughs> She's not here yet. Oh great, and Sophie, the day she arrived, she just started laughing at my jokes, and she still laughs at them. I mean, she was here now, she laughed at them. That was one of the reasons why she got the job. <laughs> they said, do you want to work with Sophie Aldrin? I said, yeah. When you, when you look at her, my God, she's so beautiful. When she arrived, she looked like, um, or a young, uh, oh, uh, uh, not Ingrid, is it Ingrid Bergman? Or, not the director, not the fella. She looked just like the man who directs plays and films. <laughs> and I fell in love with her. But she was so beautiful. And she was just, you know, poetic. <sighs> Lots of adventures we had. I'm trying to figure if she ran me over on a motorbike, or did I run her over on a motorbike? But anyway, she, she arrived for our first audition on a motorbike. She wore, you know, she had all the leathers, she, she had a big motorbike, she used to be striding this motorbike like a colossus across the world. And off she would go, <laughs> and arrive. And then all the filming we did, they all gave me the motorbike. And I couldn't ride a motorbike. But she could, so she was so frustrated, she'd be watching me onto a motorbike. And they, they'd always put it on a hill and say, action. I go, <laughs> and they go backwards out of the film. <laughs> Things like that. So, uh, those little tales. Maybe Sophia Rasha. Remind me of more things that we've got to. Oh, I can't tell you everything we've got to in the TARDIS. You also said how much you enjoy working with Sophie. What other companion would you like to work with? Marlon Monroe. I work with Marlon in the TARDIS. Um, I don't know, other companion? Uh, I mean, it was great. Bonnie was great because I, you know, when I first got the, sh the, the gig, the job, um, I, you know, I was a bit nervous. But luckily I had worked with Bonnie Langford for a year in the very successful Paris of Penzance at Drury Lane. And every night we got married and twice on Saturdays. I think on Sunday we got divorced. But anyway, I, you know, I knew Bonnie, so to arrive with knowing somebody who'd already done it was terrific. She kind of eased me in 
to the uh, thing of some friend, someone I knew, who I could, um, you know, get to uh, let me do it. I am not already here. Let's see this person around here. Yeah. <laughs> I'm new. Through Patrick, uh, through John Pertwee, and then half of Tom Baker, 
the top half. And then I stopped watching it because I became an actor and they were in VCRs or any of this technology now. It's hard to believe that, isn't it? Well, it's a few years ago. And we couldn't, so I lost touch and I forgot all about it until I heard there was a job going at the BBC. It turned out to be Doctor Who. Are you putting two fingers up at me for some reason? Or is it? I just want to say thank you. You are my favourite doctor because you're the first person I genuinely believe is insane. Thank you, thank you. Tell us what it was like working on Vision On, where what you're doing is purely visual comedy. Well, that was terrific. I enjoyed that immensely working on Vision On. And for those of you who didn't see it, it was a very it was a brilliant, brilliant programme. It started off 12 years before as just a programme for uh, hard of hearing and death. And then it gradually developed into a very visual program that everybody, it became universal, everybody could watch. And many people were inspired by painters and artists because of, um, you know, the, the great Tony Hart and all his amazing television art that he did there. And also out of it grew uh, Artman, uh, and, uh, because uh, Morph was in it, you know, Little Robbery Man. And these were a couple of young schoolboys who just got together and made bits of vision. And I did... A, I just played visual parts. Uh, originally, the guy I took over from was a mime artist, but I didn't do mime as such. Uh, and so I just did visual, like silent movie. Have you seen The Artist, anybody? Seen The Artist? It's amazing, isn't it? A beautiful film. Anyway, I, Vision Art had elements of that in it. And I was blessed to be able to do that. Because I, I never trained, and I, I didn't know for years until I was 27 that I was carrying this baggage with me. And in the bag was a lot of abilities to do silent movie acting. I had no idea. It must have been because as a child I must have watched them all and just collected it. And it was in there. And then when the chance came, bang, it all came out and I suddenly could do it. So I, uh, I, uh, I used to love to vision on for that reason. <coughs> Hello. What was the most embarrassing thing that happened to you while filming Doctor Who? Meeting you. <laughs> Embarrassing thing. Oh gosh, I wish I'm sure there was lots of embarrassing things. Can you remember anything embarrassing? Uh, I remember you and Sophie eating a cream cake. That was very embarrassing. At the same time. Oh, at the same time. That wasn't embarrassing, that was fun. <laughs> um, I can't remember. I might come back to it. Um, what do you think about the talk about having a female doctor? <laughs> sorry, sorry. Who sent me as Doctor Who? 
Oh, the BBC. Well, they sent me an exotic at the uh, Trafalgar Square toilets or something like that. <laughs> I mean, um, that's the most exotic. They have, where would they send me? Where would I wish they would send me? Yes. I don't know really. Where I, I quite like to go to uh, to uh, well, not Tibet, um, Nepal. Paul! Paul has got a house in Nepal, Paul McGann. He, um, he was building this house, he and another friend, uh, over a certain amount of time, uh, and uh, the king saw it. And the king of Nepal said, ooh, that's a nice house. So he went into it, and they hadn't quite put in the electricity and the plumbing. So he said, I'll put in the, in, uh, the electricity and the plumbing, and then I'll come and stay. <laughs> So Paul McGann's suddenly got a king staying in his house and nobody really wanted that, that would be uh, uh, in, of, of interest. Um, I don't know where I'd go. Exotic. I've been to so many places. America, I've been there, done that. Latin America, I'd love to go to Latin America, I think. I'm, I'm hoping that Doctor Who might take off there. Or The Hobbit might take me there. Because um, I've been to a, a convention in Spain. Uh, earlier last year, I went to Spain, and that was the very first time. So the Spanish are getting into Doctor Who in a big way, and I'm hoping they'll spread it to Latin America, so I can go to uh, Brazil or somewhere like that. Well, what's the exotic rumour that you used to have hats, where you used to have nails up your nose? Ah, you heard? I used to bang nails up my nose. You'd have to be mad to do a thing like that. But I did. <laughs> I heard someone once had an act where they put ferrets down their trousers. <laughs> You'd have to be mad to do something like that. And I did. <laughs> I heard that someone once set light to his head. <laughs> to be mad to do something like that. And I did. <laughs> yes, I used to be, uh, I used to do a show called An Evening with Sylvester McCoy, The Human Bomb. Impossible to do now. So those days of innocence, um, you know, people didn't go around really blowing themselves up. I mean, I used to go blow myself up for a laugh. It shows you what kind of sense of humor they had in those days. No, I used to uh, do this show, it's called An Evening with the Best of the Human Bomb. Before that, I was just Kent Smith, the actor. I got this role, and uh, Ken Campbell, who ran it, uh, he said to me once, he said, Yeah, it'd be really good if uh, the audience believed you were the real McCoy. <laughs> He said, we could put in a program, Sylvester McCoy played by Sylvester McCoy. Sylvester McCoy left the Newton Grammar School at 15, went to India, studied with gurus. That's why he bangs nails up his nose, sets light to his head, puts various down his trousers, escapes from mailbags, nuts, potato to a thousand pieces. All sorts of there lies in beds of nails, there's bricks broken on his chest. I did all these things. You have to be mad. And, uh, so, and I said, okay, let's do that. And then I said, where did the name come from? And uh, Sylvester, that came from a song. Have you heard about the big strong man who lives in a caravan? Have you heard about the Jeffrey Johnson fight when the great black American beat the white? You can bring all the heavyweights you got because we've got a little man to beat the lot. He plays the organ in the belfry and he wants to fight Jack Dempsey. That's my brother. Sylvester, what's he got? He's got a row of 40 members on his chest, big chest, exploring all the Arctic in his vest. He knows no rest, big of the arm. Suck a punch, hellfire, son of a gun. Don't push, just shove, plenty of room for the enemy. He's got an arm as big as a leg, a lady's leg. And a punch that was in the battleship, big ship. He put, takes all the army in the navy to put the wind up. Sylvester. That's what my first name <laughs> He said, well, yes, I used to get coke. 
I don't usually put it in a sack. I was a coke sacker. Oh, a coke sacker! Oh, right. Oh, well, you can join the army. And then next one comes along and he said, Well, yes, one of you who's in a suit, I was a coke sacker. I'm a what? I was a coke sacker. What? He said, Yes, I used to get socks and I'd put um, the cardboard box, the cardboard in the sock. A sock tucker. Oh, a sock tucker. Oh, I see, you're a sock tucker. Yes, you can join the army. And then the next one comes along and said, what did you do, sir? Oh, cocksucker. I beg your pardon? What? He said, yes, um, I, uh, I, I worked uh, in the you know, wine, winery and I used to soak the, co the, co the, the cork so it could be stuck in a box. Oh, a, co a cork soaker. But it's hard to say. No one even say cork. No, no, anyway, he said, oh, that's all right. You can join. And then the fourth one comes along and says, I was a real McCartney. That's where the name came from. There's a man, or a lady, no, it's a lady with me, yeah. Hello. It's hard as we're going to land uh, right now and here. Where would, you, where would you travel to? Where would I travel to if it landed here? Hmm. I'd like to go to that. Planet they found, you know the new one where they think you know it's a bit bigger than here, and it's but it's got the same kind of. We could maybe live there. And, um, ooh, you haven't heard of that one. You went ooh. <laughs> You've heard it, haven't you? It's a big, you know. I'm not thinking of that film. Um, I just saw called eh? Melancholy. I'm not thinking of that. No, there is a real one somewhere, but they think we might. Possibly be able to live. I'd like to go there. That'd be a good one to go to. Um, let's see if I get through here with breaking in on Move that hand back. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to check over here. Um, I saw you at the little chocolate progress in Glasgow when you were playing Mr. Mushnick, and it's not really like a Kegel type character. Do you prefer playing a Kegel or a villain? Oh, I do. I like doing it all, really. I mean, you know, Comedy, straight. I'm off to Scotland on Monday to do a new play called Bloom, and it's at the Tron Theatre. If you've had to be home, anyway, um, it's on at the Tron. It's a it's a very sad, uh, beautiful play, wonderfully written, and it's about a man, a widow who lost his son in the uh, Lockerbie massacre, and it's his reaction to the minister allowing the bomber free. It's that, based on that. And it's a very beautiful, poignant piece. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Um, so, you know, it's mi mixing it all. I love mixing it all. The whole mix of everything, really. I love doing theatre, film, radio, busking, banging nails up my nose. Um, what was your favourite monster in either your tenure or any of it? My favourite monster? Uh, um, I think it's the one, there was one in, uh, was it Battlefield? Or was it Curse of Fenric? I can't remember that. It was, uh, it was beautifully made, with big horns and things. Does anyone know what that might have been? Battlefield. Battlefield. And what was it called? He, him, her. Pardon? How you doing? Um, Destroyer. I thought he was actually the best of my tenure, I thought. Although the Tetraps were very good at the beginning. Tetraps are rather good. Uh, I felt sorry for them though, because the guys had to be the Tetraps. You know, big hairy costumes and they're all hot. And they had to hang upside down. So they actually hung them upside down from you know the roof of the, uh, the uh, studio. And I had to act underneath them. And somebody thought, oh my god, the roof is, you know, the holes in the roof, it's dripping. But it wasn't rain, it was their sweat. They, they were <laughs> So I was covered in Tetrap sweat. Not a nice thing. But those guys were hanging outside down there for quite a long time. I was always amazed. I did a um, kind of a documentary about it once. Uh, you know, the unsung heroes of Doctor Who. And I think they are the people who play those parts. Because they have to put up with enough of, lot of you know, kind of mis uncomfortableness. It's not such a word. I'll just make it up here, isn't it? I'll go back in time and I'll give it to Dr. Johnson. Ah, yeah. In the American film that you were in, they wrote the Doctor as half-human. What did you think of that? I thought that was half-silly. <laughs> which half? Which half was human? I'm not going to answer that one. Um, uh, I don't know, really. Perhaps it's a good thing in a way that it kind of got lost and it's never been taken up again. 
I just, you know, it's just, it's that thing of getting a kiss in, the romance in. The Americans are very keen to get all that because, you know, they, they believe in all that. And then they get divorced five times. What do you think? Tell us about Sally Jones. Now. It's my secret and I'm keeping it. Um, so the best idea you need to have in that five minutes. Five minutes? Okay. Um, out of all the episodes that you did, which was your favourite and, uh, and why? Don't answer that. Don't answer that? Well, there's no question. I mean, he's bigger than I am. I'm not going to argue. <laughs> no, honestly, luckily, luckily, honestly, um, the, the, the Daleks one was, was uh, one of the, 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 the best, I think, of, uh, of, 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 of that I did. It was a great one to do. And um, I, I think you must have hated me when, I think, if I'm, I could get this, have this work wrong. In the early uh, versions of it, I was meant to beat up and blow up the Daleks. And I kept saying, no, no, I can't do that. Oh, Ace can do that. Do you remember? I was a pastor. I refused. I believe that the doctor shouldn't do that. He was much cleverer than that. He was much cleverer than violent ways. He, he would actually, and, and you actually, I think, took revenge and wrote uh, a huge long speech for me at the end where I talked a dialect to death. Yes, it was. Uh, the only problem was out of the other bloody speech. <laughs> but anyway. No, that was great fun doing that. That was really good. And also, proud and privileged to be in a, a, a story where the Daleks went up the stairs. You know, that was just, you know. I mean, those, those later, those newfangled Doctor Who people that came along and said, we've got the Daleks traveling up the stairs as if they did it the first time. They didn't. We did. We did. So we did that. Um, that but that was actually fun. Because you know what they did in order to do that? No CGI, no, you know. So the BBC says, oh, well, we've got to do this. We must achieve this. So what they do is they get a real Dalek. Not, not a made-up one, not a cardboard one, not a blown-up one, but a real big, heavy, buttery Dalek, as it were. And then what they do is then they got um, scaffolding poles, two scaffolding poles. They stuck into its side, like that. And then there was a wall, the wall there where you got up the stairs. Behind the wall, there was, uh, some, there was another scaffolding pole running parallel to the stairs. So then these scaffolding poles, these scaffolding poles went over that scaffolding pole and then was pulled up like that. So that's how that's it, by 10 men. So you had 10 men on the other end of two scaffolding poles. It's gonna sweat him and they're trying to pick up this huge, big, heavy Dalek. And no wonder the Dalek was going up, it was going up the stairs like, you know, like, it, it, all over the place, it was wobbling all over the place. It's how we got to the top, it threw up. <laughs> 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 but it was one we didn't do that. Do you not remember? <laughs> Where are you going? Mandy, Mandy Osborne, come back here at once. <laughs> Look at that, she's got her own name stuck there. Are you a Mandy Osborne as well? Or is this just a seat for Mandy Osborne? Okay. Yes, I mean, I, I, I've done a lot of audios. Last month, I did, uh, I did one that was, gosh, it was, one story it was four days it took to do, and then I've, I've done another three stories, I think. Yes. Yeah, some great work, some great stuff, great cars. Oh, it's a privilege. So lucky. I am still Doctor Who. I mean, you know, people say, oh, all the, you know, the, the, the Boy Wonder and all the other ones, you know, the uh, Mancunian Petty and, uh, you know, <laughs> the Scot Scottish Traitor, um, you know, they all, they all, uh, you know, kind of carry on, but oh, I, we do as well. Tom Baker, Patrick, uh, no, Pat, no, he's dead. Uh, <laughs> he plays a good cops. But anyway, uh, there's uh, Peter Davidson and Colin and I and uh, Paul McGann. We all make these audio tapes, CDs now, and, 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 and downloads. <laughs> Technology. But anyway, uh, it's, a, it's a privilege to do it. It's great that we, we can do it. But you know, uh, when I said, uh, David Tennant, traitor, because you're a Scot, aren't you? Aren't you? You look one. I'll take that Kepler. Anyway, um, uh, when David got the part, they heard in Scotland that he wasn't going to do a Scottish accent. And so the, the, the press pulled me up. Oh, hello there, Sylvester. 
We hear about David Tennant, he's not going to do it in Scottish. I mean, what do you think of that? I'm thinking, oh my god, what am I going to say to this? I'm going to be diplomatic, I can't say, oh, he's a traitor. Um, and I try to say, well, you know, he's an actor, and, you know, we all like to, you know, take on challenges, and, you know, I'm sure that's what it is, blah, blah, blah. Then I fantasised, I suddenly thought, wow, what happens if they got another great Scottish person to do it? Like, Billy Connolly. <laughs> They're great, wouldn't they? I mean, you open the TARDIS door and say, Oh my god. <laughs> Look at that planet. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Wouldn't I kill? He'd be good. Anyway, thanks very much. And that's me. That's me. Great stuff. And there's more where that came from. We've still got Q&As with Eve Miles and Colin Baker waiting in the wings. We'll be publishing them shortly, so stay tuned. And don't forget to let us know what you think of Sylvester's efforts. Are you looking forward to the Hobbit movies? Should he have been excised from the Paul McGann TV movie? How do you think the past Doctors should be featured in the 50th anniversary celebrations? Drop us a line and make yourself heard in the comments section of our blog by joining the discussion on our Facebook group, following us on Twitter, we're at ImpossiblePod, or just sending us an email, impossiblepodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. Until next time, take care. Thank mm-hmm. you.